Hey, fried friends. This week I have a super exciting episode for you with Dr. Valerie Reen, who is the author of the book Patriarchy Stress Disorder. And with so much talk around boundaries in this episode and the episode that will be released in two weeks with Kelsey Patel, I know that some of you will be looking for guidance and support in finding and creating the boundaries that you need to live a less burnt out life. This is my favorite topic and is always a part of my one-on-one coaching programs. So if you just know that it's time for you to get control of your boundaries and end your burnout cycle, you should grab a spot on my calendar and book a free call so that we can chat about the energies and possibilities that are waiting for you. You can find the link. It's a bit.ly link. So it's bit.ly forward slash call Kate and Kate is C-A-I-T. So once again, that is bit.ly forward slash call Kate. All right. I will talk to you soon. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, will interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hello, Fried listeners. I am so thrilled today to be talking to Dr. Valerie Reen, who has discovered the Patriarchy Stress Disorder, PSD, and created the only science-backed system for helping women achieve their ultimate success, happiness, and fulfillment by healing the generational trauma of oppression. She holds a master's in education in psychological counseling from Columbia University and a PhD in psychology from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Her best-selling book, Patriarchy Stress Disorder, The Invisible Inner Barrier to Women's Happiness and Fulfillment, and her cutting-edge programs have helped thousands of women shift from surviving to thriving and to master the game of how good can it get. Dr. Valerie is a sought-after speaker and trainer at conferences and companies committed to setting new standards of excellence in their industry in diversity, equity, inclusion, employee satisfaction, physical and mental health, creativity, and innovation. Dr. Valerie, I cannot even tell you how thrilled I am to have this conversation after reading your book. Ah, Thank you so much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. You have, I mean, I'm sure you do know because you wrote the book, but I just could not stop highlighting, underlining, making notes. And I felt like by the time I finished, what I needed was a session with you and not a podcast interview. (laughs) (laughs) It happens a lot. It's good. It's the way I like it. (laughs) Right. It's really, really powerful. So, you know, we just talked about the book in the intro, but what I would like to go back to is what happened before the book and start off with your story of burnout, because that's where we start all of our podcast conversations here at Fried. So if you want to go back and let us know sort of where you were and what burnout looked like for you, I would love to create space for that. Mm, I love starting with that story. (laughs) A lot of women can relate, uh, sadly, but it's important to talk about these stories because otherwise, how can we shift this um, situation, this pattern? My story started early on 
when I was a little girl, and it started with the question, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I uh, was either made to feel that I was too much. Don't talk so loud. Don't, don't be so smart. <laughs> People don't like it. No one would want to marry you. I was uh, growing up with that question. And uh, pretty soon after starting school, I discovered that achievement helped me to run away from that question. And I did really well in school, did well in college, pressed on to graduate school, in psychology, of course, what other field would help me figure out what's wrong with me. And I was living my dream life. I had a thriving private practice in New York. I had a family and home I adored. I was doing what I loved. And one day I was on the phone with a client and I noticed that I was smiling only with the right side of my face. And the left side of my face just hung in there. And so did my left arm. And I ended up in the ER with symptoms of a stroke. Thankfully, after having been scanned up and down for a whole day, it turned out to be, my official diagnosis, just stress, which mystified me to no end. Because I actually didn't feel stressed. I felt normal. I felt normal. My life was normal. My life was more than normal. It was great, I thought. It was awesome. And, of course, I couldn't deny the ER episode and how my body expressed her opinion about what was actually going on. And... When I started to look underneath the blanket of workaholism and stress that had become my normal, I discovered that it was covering up the same question that was alive and well, the question of what's wrong with me, the question of not, or the feeling of not being happy, not being fulfilled despite having checked off all the boxes that I thought I was supposed to, and that would get me there. So that's very, very uncomfortable, uh, um, a very jarring awakening, but I needed one. It, it caused me to take a look at what was I doing with my clients that I wasn't doing for myself? Because my clients were shifting out of that disconnection, out of that robotic, uh, hamster in the wheel kind of life and into the fullness of their lives. And I was still running in the hamster wheel. I was still stuck. And I realized that with all of my clients, I was actually helping, helping them heal trauma. And the elaboration on that is that pretty much very few of my clients actually had any traumatic experiences they, they could recall. But they all, without exception, showed this telltale symptom of trauma, which is disconnection, disconnection from parts of their authentic self. And this is for our listeners to just check in and let that sink in, disconnection from the fullness of who they are. And of course, that disconnection showed up in, in, in me by my body going offline, the left side of my body going offline so clearly, my body was signaling trauma, and I started 
to wonder what kind of trauma could we pop? Is it possible that we could all have some kind of trauma without even knowing about it or thinking about it as traumatic? And the discoveries at the time um, started coming into view, the discoveries in the field of epigenetics, showing that traumatic experiences are genetically transmitted. And that was my big aha moment, connecting the dots. Wait a minute. Women have been oppressed for millennia, for thousands of years. Oppression is traumatic, and trauma is genetically transmitted. So that's how PSD was discovered, patriarchy stress disorder. And when I allowed for the fact that, yes, that's the trauma that we're all carrying in our systems, it changed everything because now I could use the trauma healing tools with myself and with my clients with an explanation we could all relate to. And the results started coming in faster, more profound women stepping into their bigness, into the fullness of their lives, creating that intimacy in their relationships they've always craved, stepping into their missions in the world they've always desired, even getting in touch with their desires that they could never get in touch with before because of PSD, because of patriarchy, stress disorder. And so that's the, that's the story of how, it, how the book came to be. And I think what's really fascinating is something that I noticed with my patients through the years is that quite often, I mean, if you are a specialist in Chinese medicine, which I am, you are automatically trained in stress and stress management. Mm-hmm. Automatically, because Chinese medicine includes any type of stressor as part of the disease process. So mm-hmm. we automatically have that in our language and in our view of the body. And I can easily say that 85% of my patients over the years who I started off as a fertility acupuncturist, so I did that for a long time, and then I switched into general practice, but 85% of them would have told me that they don't have stress, that they didn't have trauma. Yeah. Right. And this happened to me in my own life as well. One of the reasons I didn't admit to what was happening in my own life when I was burning out was because, first of all, I didn't realize that trauma was a part of it. And second of all, I would never have admitted to trauma in the first place. First of all, because I wasn't thinking about epigenetics, even though in Chinese medicine, we state this, that it goes up to seven generations back. It's something that I learned in my master's program. It's, it's mm-hmm. common knowledge in Chinese medicine. But I was taught as a child that even though we were broke, we were happy and therefore we were lucky. So I had a an issue admitting any trauma because I, I thought that it meant that I was blaming my parents or not acknowledging my gratitude for the things that they did well. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up, Caitlin. This is something that I hear from women all the time is that I don't have any trauma. I had a good childhood. And that's why this this book is such a revelation to them because I do acknowledge them. I had a good childhood too. And under good childhood, there are also a ton, there's a ton of little T traumas. Yeah. And by which I mean any experience that made you feel unsafe 
physically or emotionally, psychologically unsafe and caused you to hide parts of who you authentically are. And if you just feel it in your body right now, as I'm saying these words, unsafe in your fullest authentic expression, and then causing you to hold back, you'll recognize it in your body. And it doesn't mean that your parents were bad parents or that they failed you. They did their best. Everybody is doing their best. But then our parents had trauma and our grandparents, and they could only have the capacity that they could have to help us hold our emotions. There's another aspect of trauma that's super fascinating that I didn't know about, didn't hear about until I started doing this work and discovering it in myself. It's the trauma of repressed joy. Mm. One of my clients said, after reading the book, she said, you know, my growing up, my mother never delighted in me. And I never realized that that was traumatic, that my mother never delighted in me. Just like, let that sink in, right? How important, that is actually vital. That's not a luxury, having people delight in us. Not from an indulgent standpoint, like we're so great. Yeah. But in a very human way, delighting in each other. But most likely our parents didn't have their parents delight in them, et cetera, et cetera. So that capacity, and it's not also not a survival capacity, not a survival skill. So it wasn't exactly developed from the evolutionary standpoint. We developed anxiety very well. We have survival of the anxious <laughs> and fear and all that. But the ability to thrive has not been a part of the survival skill set. And something that I'm seeing very, very, very clearly now is that as a species, as humanity on this planet, we actually cannot survive operating out of survival anymore. It's just not sustainable because survival keeps us in fight, flight, freeze. And we just don't make good decisions in that state. Look at the state of the world. All of those decisions that brought us to the situation that we have now were made out of fight, flight, freeze, out of fear, out of me versus others, me versus them, us versus them, all that survival stuff. And if we start shifting in ourselves from survival to thriving, which is really the core of journey, the core of this work, that's how we change the world. And it starts with allowing ourselves the joys, the pleasures, healing the traumas that are blocking us from the capacity to feel happy and connected and fulfilled and creative. So that's, that's the big why yeah. behind doing this work. Well, and when I was reading the book, I I found a section that I really, really loved. And what I noticed repeatedly in your writing is language that I use with my patients and clients very frequently is make it smaller, like smaller steps. Start Mm -hmm. small enough so that you do not impede on your own feelings of safety while you're trying to shift. This is right. This is massively important. And you wrote, I asked myself, what would bring me more pleasure and ease? If I could have everything my way, what would my life look like? My inner voice answered modestly at first. I would take a lunch break. I would go pee when I want to pee instead of holding it until I was done with my back-to-back clients. I would go outside. I would move my body every day. 
these are the things that we need to be talking about because there's so many people that have gone through this process or maybe they haven't gone through this process and are now proclaiming to the internet that if you just shorten your work days and give yourself more time off and create better boundaries, you'll be fine. But they're missing the step where we decide that it's safe for us to pee. Yes. <laughs> it's a crucial step. <laughs> I'm glad it spoke to you, Caitlin, and I love sharing with women because then women uh, light up and go, me too, me too, me too, right? And it it seems so basic, and I actually don't know any any man who holds his pee because (laughs) he has a phone call or like a client, right? It's so... It's so simple, it's so basic, and it's so telling if we are not allowing ourselves these very, very, very basic needs. These are not even in the realm of pleasure. This, no. is, this is very basic. Then how can we create enough space for our desires? And in my programs, I start women with the exploration of their desire. A starter practice actually comes with the book. Those who already have the book or will get the book can download this practice online at drvalerie.com forward slash book dash resources. And this is actually admittedly the hardest, the hardest task. Uh, So I kind of unfairly perhaps start women in the hardest place to show them that our desires are really, really, really protected. Protected by the subconscious trauma defenses. Protected so well because it's never been safe for us to desire. It's never been safe. First of all, it's extremely painful to want something and not be able to get it, which has been women's history throughout it wasn't even on the menu to be able to love who we love, to live authentically, to share our gifts in the world, to be in our power, to be expressed intellectually, sexually, in any way. And those women who reached for that were punished. They were ostracized. They were locked up in asylums. They were drowned and burned at the stake So women, we learned generation by generation, we learned to bury the desires very, very deep. And so I start working with these women now who are, most of the women I work with, they have everything. They're talented. They have all the basic privileges to live the life of of their desires. And they don't even know what their desires are. They know what they should want. Just like I did, right? I was checking all the boxes. I didn't know what my authentic desires were. never thought to consider that. And it's not something in our minds. It's something in the body. And going back to baby steps, baby steps take us into the body as we begin to feel safe. So in my programs, I help women through mind-body tools create that safety by uncovering trauma, rewiring the nervous system so that we can actually inhabit the body. We don't even realize that we're living in the head and not in the body. And that's a big issue. It's a big issue why we don't even feel 
much, not even stress, having trouble with sexual arousal and orgasms as well. And I'm sure you see it in your practice, all sorts of health expressions that are not desirable. So as we create that safety, then we're able to inhabit the body. And what we encounter there are possibilities for pleasure, joy, connection with our intuition, connection with our inner knowing, our desire. And then life begins to rearrange itself completely. It's something that law of attraction talks to, but not in a complete way. It talks about kind of our thoughts creating our reality. But it's really, it's not just the thoughts. I mean, you can think the thoughts and make the vision boards, but if you're subconscious, which of course the body is the expression of the subconscious. That's how we can access it. If your subconscious believes, if your subconscious knows it's unsafe for you to reach for your desires, it's going to sabotage. It's going to make you behave in ways that sabotage you reaching for your desires, be it in your love life or in your business or in your fitness or whatever that is. And it's your fault. It is trauma in the subconscious. And neuroscience is now telling us that our actions are decided in our subconscious. So don't worry about changing your thoughts so much. Explore the possibilities of embodying through safety and uncovering trauma and healing. And that's the real treasure cove. Yes, I totally agree. And this is something that I talk about a lot in my work that I have. I hold quite a bit of issue with the positive thinking movement and the complete focus on mindset because it ignores the body and it claims to be, you know, this holistic way of viewing things, but it's not. And you wrote in the book, no matter how much mindset work we do, the subconscious always wins. Yeah. And that's the part that I think people aren't getting. The other thing in this realm that I think is difficult for people is a combination between part of the patriarchal stress disorder, which would be Yentl syndrome. Do you know Yentl syndrome? No. Yentl syndrome is the term used to describe the natural bias that doctors of any type hold against women unknowingly. Mm. So this is the systemic bias against women. So if a man comes in and says, I've had a really strong headache for three days, he'll get a CAT scan. And if a woman comes in and has a really strong headache for three days, she'll be sent home with an aspirin. Mm, Fascinating. I did not know that. Yeah, so this is built into our medical system unknowingly. And women doctors, female doctors do it as much as male doctors yeah. do it. There has been a the fight back from the female side is to say, this isn't psychosomatic, this is really happening in my body, without recognizing that psychosomatic doesn't necessarily mean that it's not happening in your body. In fact, right. it means that it is happening in your body. Yeah. So is there a way that you could explain psychosomatic symptoms that are actually physical and really truly happening in a way that will would make women feel safe to say yes this is due to stress yes i understand that do you know do you see where i'm going i think so let's see what we can co-create here i i think the first the first place the place to start is with self-trust Because you know, as a woman, you know that something's off. You know. But what happens, unfortunately, is that we give our power away. And when authority figure tells us, oh, it's in your head, or just take this pill, 
sometimes we may actually give up our position. That may or may not happen. Depends on your personality and your stamina, how you approach things. Just keep it on your radar. Cultivate that self-trust. And again, that self-trust is deepening with your ability to be in your body. To be in your body, to listen to the messages of your body, and to know them to be true. Yes, the mind-body connection, that, that's all well documented. If you want to go to your doctor with some <laughs> studies to your homework, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, my feeling is if that's what's required, change a doctor, practitioner. There are a lot of practitioners who understand <laughs> the bigger picture. There is just so much bias in the system, right? There is this book out, Invisible Women, that shows all the bias in research that historically has been done on men and how we don't even understand. Because of it, women are paying with their lives, literally, because the symptoms show up differently in women and men for different yeah. conditions. Yeah. It's maddening. So how to change the situation? I feel that that self-advocacy begins at home. It begins with really knowing your body, making friends with your body. So that's where I want to take it also, mm -hmm. is that we were born into the culture that puts us in a not just oppositional uh, position, but at war with our bodies. Mm -hmm. The whole culture, there is a war on women, there is a war on our bodies. The bodies are objectified and judged or too skinny, too fat, too wrong kind. And just the fact that we're even having these conversations yeah. is wrong, feels very wrong. But outside of those conversations, when we look in the mirror, like when you look in the mirror, how do you feel, right? Do you hear that self-critical voice? oh, nothing looks good on me, or look at that cellulite, or look at those wrinkles. So there is a lot of mistrust and even hatred of the body that we've imprinted with patriarchy, stress disorder, with PSD. It's all a part of this picture. And that reclamation runs really deep, and it's vital. It's vital to our lives. Not only, I wrote in the book, happiness and fulfillment. Yes, that's, that's what we want. But it actually, dare I say, it saves our lives. Mm. Because looking from the medical perspective, if we are friendly with the body, if we listen to her as a dear friend, if we love and respect the body, wouldn't she do better also physically and longer? And wouldn't we notice the slightest symptoms um, before they become something more severe? I know a woman who self-diagnosed cancer while in a deep relaxation state after a yoga class, that's when her intuition pinpointed a slightest, slightest thing that she had no symptoms. Yeah. And she went to the doctor and the doctor looked at her like she was crazy, like she yeah. wanted those tests. She had no symptoms, but they ran the tests and they caught it very, very early. And then she was, she restored her health. So it's a really big picture. And it, that's why knowing that we are affected by PSD, knowing that we can heal it, we can reclaim self-love, not the self-love that <laughs> it comes from like a Facebook meme, right? 
that just the post, post, post it on your mirror. I love myself. I love. There are actually studies that show that it, that only creates cognitive dissonance. If you find yourself craving your next cup of coffee to get you through your day, your body is telling you something's wrong. Despite what you think, it's not normal to be managing your day from one burnt out moment to the next. Unlike your caffeine fix or other stimulants, Nadovim delivers a clinical dose of the key metabolite that enables your brain to improve its own function on an ongoing basis. Imagine that, the pick-me-up that keeps giving. Not only that, but Nadovim's main compound, NAD+, has been heavily researched, deemed safe, highly effective, and has caught the attention of many of the most cutting-edge medical clinics for its anti-aging and neuroprotective properties. They've even extended a 20% discount code only for the fried audience, so you can grab yours now at www.nadovim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. That's www.nadovim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. Again, it comes from trauma. It's never been safe for us to own our beauty. It's never been safe for us. Women didn't own our, we didn't own our own bodies. We were, our bodies were property. So it runs very, very deep and not to make it like all heavy and depressing. There's a lot of healing to be done. So if you are not, quote unquote, loving yourself, there's trauma to be healed. That's all. We all have it. Without exception, you look at the most through the patriarchal lens, patriarchy approved kind of beauty standards. (laughs) Women, they all have those issues too. Anyway, long story short, (laughs) 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 save your own life by doing that healing. And um, then everything, everything changes around you. Yeah. And so the the answer really comes down to the ability to stay embodied and yes. feel safe while doing yes. it. Yes. Yeah. And that's and that that's something that we can cultivate. I discuss those those ways in the book. There are different approaches that help you cultivate that embodied safety. I teach them in my programs. I do videos on them. You can look up in the resources section on my website, drvalerie.com, see what resonates with you. But don't buy into anything that takes you out of your own agency and knowing that you know yourself better and you are your own source of everything and, and bring in sources of support that support you in getting to know you better. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I do in, in my work with burnout coaching clients is putting a stop to the abandonment of your physical body by mm. taking your energy and placing it somewhere else. Because we are, one of the things that you said in the beginning was one of your trauma adaptations was achievement, right? That was the only yeah. way that you were recognized. And that was very similar in my life. And one of the other ways that we get uh, noticed is by people pleasing and doing the nice thing and being considerate and look and watching out for other people's needs and fulfilling them before those people even have a request or anything that they want from us. We're, we're halfway through cooking the meatloaf before somebody comes home and says, I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> And one of the things that sort of bothers me, and and I didn't read a ton about this, but I want to ask your opinion about it. One of the things that I work with so much that is frustrating for me in the world of coaching is there's a lot of talk about building boundaries, 
right? About building boundaries to the outside, saying no to people that are trying to come in. But what I feel like is our bigger problem is that we're not in our bodies to start with. Our energy is already invested in something that's totally not us, right? So we're yeah. not embodied. Our, our energy is at the stove, finding our kid's sock, fixing the Wi-Fi for our husbands, holding the door for the old lady, but that's behind us. Our energy is constantly outside of our own bodies. So my work very often focuses on instead of building those boundaries on the outside, Let's learn, just like you're saying, to stay inside your own body, keep your energy to yourself as much as you possibly can so that you can start to recognize those desires, those wants, those needs, even basic needs like needing to pee. Yeah. We're go, I'm going back to that because I think it's really powerful because every single woman that I've ever worked with has had something that, that is that size. Something yeah. that is so like, oh, I don't have time to drink water because if I drink so much water, then I have to go to the bathroom a lot and I don't have time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the title of this episode should be Go Pee. <laughs> go Pee when you need to, right? Absolutely. It's just such a, it's a really strong example and something yeah. that I think a lot of people can relate to. Yes. So what do you think about this world where people are saying, you know, just build these outer boundaries and you'll feel empowered? Yeah, I I agree with you. I see it in a similar way. It's a it's a it's a partial view. It comes from the right place of right. recognizing that uh, something is affecting us, but it's not necessarily looking at the root cause. Mm. I I just had an interesting experience. I was invited to speak at a high level mastermind. Uh, with one of the industry leaders leading it, women who are changing the world in this mastermind, amazing women on a mission. They received my book as their required reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks to the visionary, their visionary leader, this, um, this woman who leads it. So the call was about Q&A, 100% Q&A. They had an opportunity to ask me anything. And we were 50 minutes into the call. Uh, they were asking a lot of great questions. When I realized it just boom, all questions, Caitlin, 100% of the questions were asked about somebody else. They were asking me about a client they need to help or a neighbor or this woman they saw on the street. Yeah. Or, or their, their spouse, their kids. Yeah. And then when it struck me, I, I almost burst out, I don't know, with what crying or, or, or fierceness. Yep. And I spoke to that and I said, this is PSD, yeah. reading. reading the book and knowing that you are in prison doesn't set you free. You've all read the book. Now see how that's playing out. If you're putting yourself last here asking the questions when you can ask me anything, yeah. How is that showing up in your business? How is it showing up in your relationship? And that's what you're talking about, I think, with the boundary yeah. And, yeah. and actually owning, owning your own energy, owning your own desires. It's not our fault. It's never been safe. I'll say it again. It's never been safe to go there, to even be in the body, to be in touch with the desires. So they're very protected. I call those trauma adaptations prison guards. Yeah. In the metaphor of, of my, my book and the invisible in the prison of trauma. Um, and these prison guards legitimately 
have evolved to protect us, but the, the only way they know how to protect us is by keeping us in the invisible, in the prison. And so by doing the healing work, we help them evolve into our bodyguards. So yes, we can feel safe while being in the body, while being in our own energy, while having the boundaries and interacting with others. And that actually creates a better experience for everyone because when we don't have the boundaries internally, then we end up so out of touch with our needs, we end up living in resentment. Yes, yes, yes. This is exactly what I teach all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 110%. Yes, yes. We live in resentment all the time and we are very confused as to why no one is making an effort for us the way we are making an effort for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. And I I lived in resentment in my marriage. I thought that's just what you do. You get married and you live resentfully ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's what I've seen everywhere, right? (laughs) So I wasn't expecting bliss. Um, It was... (laughs) And no shortage, uh, there was no shortage of marital therapy, by the way, that yeah. we worked on it and worked on it. And that's in the book until there was like nothing left. We were so exhausted, yeah. so exhausted. And the resentment wore us out and it was so toxic for yeah. us and for, for, for our daughter. And so the only way that was left for us was to part ways. It's not something I advocate. I advocate don't get too the place where resentment is your normal for 12 years in my case for some longer. And then it's just so hard to break out of it. Learn to notice what you're tolerating now. The slightest things you're tolerating holding in your pee. Great awareness. Congratulations. You rock. That's revolutionary. Now go pee and notice how hard that is because the prison guards will be like, no, you need to cook the meatloaf first. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) But this is revolutionary, Caitlin. I'm so glad we're having this super real conversation because it starts with very small things. In my book, I have a chapter called The Sock Draw That Ended My Marriage. Yeah. Started with me realizing that most of the socks I owned didn't give me pleasure. And in fact, I hated some of them, but I was tolerating them. And then it led to other explorations and other and other. And then my entire life changed. I'm in the most fulfilling relationship I could have never imagined ever. My business gives me so much joy. My schedule is arranged in the way that caters to my well-being and my family. Everything is just so succulent you know (laughs) I could have never and I I live in the desert now surrounded by succulents (laughs) I could have never imagined that but amazing things happen when we tap into our desire and allow desire to lead and it it does take a little bit of support a lot of support it does take a lot of support yeah creating that safety because we just don't have it's not a do-it-yourself project I absolutely agree I absolutely agree. And not that I, not because I think that you don't have enough power to do it yourself, but because I think having someone witness you allows you the space to witness yourself. Yeah. Beautifully said. And also from the point of view of the nervous system, trauma healing requires another nervous system. Right. It can be one nervous system of your guide, of your practitioner. It can be a group 
Yeah. Like I enjoy running group programs because that's where a lot of magic happens. Yeah. And all traumas were received in a community, be it a community of one other person or a community of many. So healing effectively happens in a community as well. There are things that we just cannot even access ourselves our consciousness will not allow us the prison guards will not allow us because we don't have the capacity it requires another nervous system or 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 more than one sometimes right yeah have you read the book energy medicine by jill blakeway i have not she's a new york-based acupuncturist she owns three pretty big centers in new york city called yanova and she wrote a book called energy medicine which is a very 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 balanced between spiritual practical and research view on energy medicine basically Mm -hmm. so exactly what you're talking about so for people that don't know anything about energy medicine when we're talking about using each other's nervous systems in order to create nets of safety in order to allow for healing that is an energetic process. And whether that is brought about through acupuncture, Reiki, mind-body medicine, um, somatic experiencing, chiropractic medicine, massage. I mean, we could go on for hours about yeah. the modalities. There's a yeah. million of them. But she talks about a study in that book where she says that when a practitioner is um, practices well with themselves, so does the work necessary to embody their own energy, be in their own bodies, keep their energy calm, keep their parasympathetic nervous system calm and, and in control, basically, that when they go into a room or not even in the room yet with a patient and their overall, I think they were measuring heart and brain coherence, Mm -hmm. the heart and brain coherence that's happening in the practitioner within moments, like a quarter of a second starts to happen also in the patient. So just by inhabiting a similar space and having someone have the intention of creating space for you will put your body in a state where healing is more likely. Ooh, goosebumps. I thank you for mentioning the book. I'm going to look it up and read it. It's so powerful. I I like to say that Gandhi's famous uh, call to action, be the change you want to see in the world. For me, this is the work of being the change. It's actually embodying it. Yeah. And a lot of women who are drawn to work with me, I, I would say at this point, probably most women I work with are also practitioners, coaches, guides, Mm -hmm. leaders, transformational leaders. They recognize the importance of embodying that frequency, that freedom, that coherence, whatever word we want to use, authenticity, because they're so painfully aware of that incongruence, that disconnect between what they want to teach and how they want to show up in their own traumas holding them back. Of course, it's not their fault. And when they become aware of it, that's what really motivates them. Okay, I want to embody the change I want to see in the world. I better do my own work. Leaders go first. And then it has that profound ripple effect. So thank you for bringing this home. This is to me such a massive thing. It's something that I learned. I mean, I've been in Eastern medicine for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's something I've learned over and over again. And every time I have to learn it again at a different level. Yeah. 
because I'm at a different level than I was before, because I've made it through another layer of my own trauma, which I will say was a major part of my burnout and something that I blatantly disregarded. I had one of my best friends is one of the top life coaches and business coaches in Poland. And we were laying in a spa, in a hotel room, on the bed. The spa's downstairs. We had just had massages and we're laying there. And she said, she had been my closest friend for seven or eight years at the time. And she stopped and she said, gosh, you just have so much shame. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no, I don't. I'm not ashamed Mm -hmm. of anything. I tell my whole story. Like I am vulnerable and I do this and I do that. And if she hadn't said those words to me at that point, I would not have gone on the healing journey that I went on because after she left that day, I laid down and I had waves of embarrassment and pictures from earlier times in my life where I didn't feel good enough or I was made fun of or something happened that made me feel ashamed. And it just started to wash over me. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is such an energy suck to carry all this shame. Like no wonder I'm tired in addition to overworking and proving myself and everything else. I'm carrying a double backpack full of shame rocks Uh that I don't even know I'm carrying. I'm so accustomed to it that I forget that they're there. They just feel normal. And she catalyzed that in you. Yes. I, I love that you, you shared that. And that's another point for our listeners. It takes another person yeah. it, to, to point something out to us that we're not seeing. I recently had this experience at a retreat that mm. I was teaching for, for our clients. And I, I teach with my life partner mm-hmm. uh, who is also a trauma healing person healer. Uh, His specialty actually is energy medicine. And when we were working, the group was picking up on something in us. And we were seeing them pick up on something. And we were not tracking that. And then we had the biggest aha about something that had been playing out in our dynamic for a very long time completely under the radar. It had to do with patriarchal, again, PSD, how it was playing out in him and me in completely complementary in young ways. <laughs> not in a positive way, though. <laughs> not in a constructive way. And I was like, whoa, we were both just floored. Yeah. I'm the mother of PSD. He's been doing this work of healing the masculine and the feminine. He is dedicated to it for years and years. And yet we could not see it in ourselves. Yeah, we could not see it in each other because yeah. the patterns were perfectly complementary. Yeah. But it took actually our clients seeing it in us. And even though they didn't reflect it verbally, we saw them seeing it and it catalyzed something in us. So, Yeah. We're all in this together, (laughs) right? And I think it's really important that you said that because I think that very often people feel like there's an end goal. (laughs) Like you get somewhere and then you're done. And one of the things that I continuously say in my work and that I continuously admit to is that I'm always working to avoid burnout. It's not Mm -hmm. always a ton of work, but it is always an awareness in my life. Because if I don't pay attention, those prison guards that turned into bodyguards will go right back to prison guards real quick. 
Oh, yeah. If I decide to fall into old patterns, even though a lot of things have been reprogrammed and a lot of changes have been made, not all of them. I haven't seen everything. I haven't found every bit. The more I learn about burnout and trauma and all the other reasons that we burn out, the more I find. Like, I'm, yeah. people, people, somebody asked a question on a, on a forum the other day you know, aren't you afraid that you're going to run out of like blog posts? And I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) No way. I've been doing this for years and years and years. And I'm constantly discovering new things. I was, I was cutting tomatoes recently and I realized that I had a huge energy hole and a huge energy suck leak in my life because I hadn't sharpened my knife. And I was allowing myself the frustration of not being able to cut tomatoes well and getting the juice all over the place and smushing the top of the tomato and having to use the tip of the knife before I use the rest of it, simply because I didn't sharpen the knife. Ooh, that's hot. That's so good. A simple thing. It's these simple things that we're not always paying attention to, right? And you know what? You were only aware of it because you had done all this work previously. Exactly. (laughs) We're only aware of what we have capacity to be aware of and that capacity, that safety builds with work. So yes, in a sense, the more we know or the more we heal, the more we don't know or realize that we need to heal. And that's, to me, the end goal, well... Um, it's not like tongue in cheek end goal is, is really falling in love with the process. Right. You know, that expression, progress, not perfection. Yeah. I, I just um, turned it into process, not yeah. perfection. It's process. Yeah. Fall in love with the process and live happily ever after because yeah. it's, it's, um, it's your friend and it can be joyful. It doesn't have to be dreadful. It can be humorous. I love all the fun yeah. examples you're, you're bringing up like with cutting the tomato and it's, it can be playful. It can it be can. fun. You can get, you have a partner, get your partner into this work. You can do it with your kids. If you have kids, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's awesome. I mean, we do yeah. it all the time in, in my family and it's kind of, it's just how we roll and it's normal and it's, it beats the heck out of living in unconsciousness, right. resentment, and tolerating a drawer full of socks that I hate. Let alone, <laughs> yeah, exactly. let alone other things. <laughs> right. For me, one of the big things that I notice when this shift starts to happen in my clients um, and when it happened in me, when I went from you know, being in this place of always trying to fix myself that something was broken to being more interested in, oh, this is an interesting process. Like, let's see what can happen is a shift from um, judgment to curiosity. Is this Mm. someone that you, something that you also see? Yeah, I love that. Sometimes I talk about skills or or signs of survival or Mm -hmm. attributes of survival Mm -hmm. and attributes of thriving. And uh, curiosity is definitely an attribute of thriving. Mm. Curiosity um, versus control, for example. Right. And anything that has to do with survival is creating a closed system, defensively closed, self-protecting, self-preservation. And um, that actually repels everything that we want to attract and attracts other things that correspond with that closed energy. Right. 
So we're just making ourselves small and we're attracting things that are reinforcing that. And then when we, the more we shift into thriving, that's openness, that's curiosity, that's pleasure, that's connection, giving and receiving and being in the flow of creativity and money and other resources, love. It feels so like, sounds so simple and that's and, and it's it's not never going to be or maybe i don't know like i've never met anyone who's like a hundred percent in thriving and openness all the time but which shifts with this work like markers of progress for me if you will is that there is much quicker noticing when i yeah. get sucked into survival yep. um, and much quicker ability to shift yeah. And a lot of tools that I teach are designed specifically to shift on a dime yeah. from survival to thriving. And it's magic. And interestingly, that actually requires also getting used to and helping the nervous system feel safe with mm -hmm. pleasure and openness because those states don't feel safe. Whoa, mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. So can you tell us, um, I, we're about to, to wrap up, but can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do? Are you doing mostly group programs? Do you do one-on-one -on -one work? What is the way that you love to serve the most? Mm. It's mostly group programs in one, uh, one, one kind or another. I do a little bit of one-on-one -on -one consulting and deep dive uh, immersions. I love group because it's, it works. It works very, very well. The group is wiser mm. than I am by myself, right? right. We're all, yeah. all in this together. So I have a virtual program called The Thriving Solution. You can learn more at drvalerie.com forward slash solution. It's truly amazing. We, we see big shifts even in the very stressful time of COVID-19. We've, <laughs> we've had women create deeper intimacy with their husbands and quadruple the business, which is like, like, seriously, how are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> I want to learn. <laughs> but things are, <laughs> but because <laughs> uh, everybody comes with a different degree of, um, uh, kind of where they are on the of journey. Course. And sometimes it's a little thing that shifts and everything opens up. Yeah. And so it's really a magical process. That's what I hear from the clients as well. They call it magic and, and, and maybe it is. And there, there are also free resources that I do my best to put out uh, blogs, newsletter. I share a lot from the, my own in the lab. So uh, drvalerie.com, you can subscribe. You can download the first uh, chapter of my book there as well, drvalerie.com forward slash book and book resources are available as well. Some meditations, starter tools and following me on social, I'm putting things out. And if you just want to touch base and share what resonated with you, and if you are ready to explore options, that would be right for you. Valerie at drvalerie.com. I am um, accessible, quite accessible via email. Read all my messages. <laughs> I love that so much. Dr. Valerie, this conversation flowed like water and I am, <laughs> I am overflowing further in gratitude for your wisdom and your work and your knowledge and your ability to share it in a way that feels so human and normal and earthly. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really, really grateful for that. So thank you so much for your time and your ability to show up here and the really strong message that you're able to share with my listeners today. 
Thank you. It's truly an honor, Caitlin. Thank you for your leadership and thank you for everyone who tuned in today. All right, everybody, you heard everything that Dr. Valerie had to say. And I know we've talked about trauma on this podcast before, but this should be giving you probably a little bit of a kick in the pants to start paying attention a little bit of a different way. I really highly recommend her book. Everything that she mentioned, all of the links will be, will magically appear in the show notes and you will have access to all of them. And in the meantime, I will be thinking of you and sending you good vibes until next time. Hey, before you go, both Dr. Valerie and I would really love to continue this conversation with you, and we're both really active on Instagram, so we want you to screenshot this episode that you're listening to right now, make it a post on your Instagram, and post your favorite takeaway as your caption. Be sure to tag us both so that we'll see it and can comment on it and keep this conversation rolling. Our handles are at Dr. Valerie Green. D-R-V-A-L-E-R-I-E-R-E-I-N and at Fried the Burnout Podcast. So get posting and we'll get involved.